Marine Security Forces is a little-known aspect of the Marine Corps, responsible for anti-terrorism actions as well as security of high-value naval installations like those containing nuclear vessels and weapons. Tim Richards sat down with me to discuss his time in this very small corner of the Corps. Tim joined the military with excitement in mind and the added benefit of not getting stuck in a small town. And what he received from his time in was so much more than either of those things. Listen in for a first-hand account of how the military opens doors to a world of opportunities that would not otherwise exist for people who didn't raise their hand to volunteer. So Tim, how did you end up um, in Marine Security Forces? Because that's kind of a, it's kind of a unique aspect uh, of the military and it takes from a lot of different parts of, of the Marine Corps. But how did you end up in the Marine Security Forces? Yeah, so, um, you know, I started off going to college and uh, I went to college with the intent of wrestling, um, partying, and then somewhere in there was academics. And um, my college experience didn't last very long. After so the intent was to party? <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. I would. I would. Uh, I could have been cue number one that uh, you yeah, weren't ready. I was, I was 17 years old as a freshman in college, and, and uh, I just wasn't mature about it. I wasn't thinking about it um, the right way necessarily. And um, so, yeah, I, I, uh, I wrestled in college and, and uh, had a good time, but it didn't last very long. It was all of about a semester. And uh, um, they kicked me out, basically, which rightly so. And I'm sitting at home uh, at my parents' house, and I kind of felt like somewhat the family dog. Like, I, I woke up um, and, uh, and ate breakfast, sat around the house looking for jobs, sure, something to do, where's my, what's my next step or whatever. Um, and then I'd go to, go to bed, like, just like the dog. Right, mm -hmm. like it, there's not much more than that what the dog does. But um, a buddy of mine at the time, his name was Kyle. Um, he was um, instead of going to college, he went in the Marine Corps, and he went into security forces. And he came home off of leave. He was stationed in Naples, Italy, um, in the security forces uh, company there. And he came home off of leave one time and just happened to stop by my house, and he was talking to me about uh, chasing the rabbit. And chasing the rabbit when you're doing like CQB, um, kind of the way you, you go into the room and how C you... And CQB being... Uh, close quarters combat, I th yeah. or... I think close quarters battle. Battle, yeah, right. yeah. But basically, how do you go into a room and clear it when you have hostage, hostage situations and whatnot? And um, he was telling me the techniques that he was doing, and I thought, wow, that's, that's phenomenal. I'm going to do it. And at that, at that point... Um, I mean, it was basically a lot of my friends out of wrestling. They either all went in the military or they went to school. And um, pretty much nobody was home at that point. Um, and, uh, you know, his military experience, Kyle's military experience, talking about being over in Italy of all places just seemed so wild to me. And then chasing the rabbit, going through, and that's his training. I thought, I'm doing it. So... Um, I went and took the ASVAB, scored pretty high on the ASVAB and, and uh, the, the standardized test or whatever, right, for uh, just to try to see what kinds of jobs you can get. And the Marine Corps recruiter was like, no, you don't want to go into security forces. You don't want to go into infantry. Like, you can do all these other things. And he had all these other billets, I'm sure, that he wanted to um, 
Phil or whatever, but I'm like, nope. The only way I'm doing it is I'm going into security forces. Uh, this is what I want to do. I want to be like my buddy Kyle. And so you were intent on chasing the rabbit is really what it was. Absolutely. Out. That's exactly it. Yeah, I was. that's what I wanted to do. That seemed really exciting to me. And uh, I signed up in a delayed entry program uh, thing where basically I would, I would take the summer um, at home and just prepare for boot camp. And um, a couple of things were going on at the time. And, and uh, as far as um, trying to work things out in my personal life, and I went to the recruiter after a, a week or two of being in the delayed entry pro program. And I said, look, I want to get out now. I'm going now. What's the fastest plane you can get me on? And uh, um, he's like, I can get you out in two weeks. And that's when I went home and I told my mom, <coughs> uh, hey, I'm, I'm going to the Marine Corps. And uh, So and this is the first she'd heard of it? First she's heard of it. Okay. And she's like, yeah, right. You know, like I had... Great uncles, World War II, uh, you know, there's different influences here and there, but my parents were not military. I didn't come from a military family necessarily. And they're like, yeah, you're, you're always joking around. That's really funny. I'm like, no, I'm going, and I'm going in two weeks. And uh, it became very real for them very fast. And, uh, um, yeah. And, and this, this was mid-'90s? Yeah, 95. Okay, so we're peacetime. Yeah. But... Any mother who hears her son say, I'm joining the military, heightened awareness, I'm joining the Marine Corps, even higher awareness, mm -hmm. and then you had the added aspect of joining the infantry. Yeah, yeah. So I'm sure that she was wondering what on earth happened. How did this happen? Yeah. There was a little bit of conflict around in that area. I think, uh, I don't remember exactly when Bosnia kind of kicked off and I'll, I can get to that. But um, yeah, relatively um, peacetime for most people, right? With and when their, their view of the world. Um, and yeah, I, uh, I, I jumped on a plane and the wake up call for me was when uh, at that time, I don't know how they do it now, but I flew out to San Diego, first time ever being on a plane, thinking I was the coolest guy in the world. I'm really? gonna go be a Marine, yeah. yeah. and. Uh, I get off the plane and the drill instructor or one of the the, um, the guys with the hats, I don't know if he was actually a DI, but um, he would actually meet you at the gate. And so I remember coming off the plane and walking up to that drill instructor and it was like, what on earth did I just do? <laughs> and he collected a couple of us that were coming in at that time. And we all sat down in this part of the terminal and before the um, bus came to pick us up to go take us to um, right, uh, right around the uh, other side of the airport is the MCRD, right? So, But of course, um, the, when they're acting as handlers in, the, in a public place like that, yeah. they're pretty chill. Yeah. Still intimidating. Is it is very intimidating. Yes. I was and that was my first wake up call of I'm actually doing this. Um so that was that was really wild. But um yeah, fast forward then going through um boot camp, SOI, uh security forces school, um a couple months later I ended up in my buddy's unit. Because uh, they the same guy. The same, Ky okay, I ended up yeah. in Kyle's unit. Kyle was uh, stationed at Naples, as I mentioned. Um, I was actually stationed as uh, in a Marine Corps detachment 
um, off of that company in Bay Crete, Greece. In Crete? In Crete, yeah. Well, that's, that doesn't suck. No, it was, it was uh, any partying that I thought I had to get out of my system, that was the first part of that whole experience was, <laughs> <laughs> was, uh, was definitely, uh, yeah, because that's a holiday. It's like the Caribbean for Europe is what it felt like, right? Like all these people coming down from different parts of Europe to, to yeah, holiday and, there in, in uh, Crete, you know. And for people who aren't familiar with it, it's, a, it's an island to the south of mainland Greece. Mm -hmm. But it's also, I mean, like you said, it's like right in the middle of everything. Italy's not far off. The, the northern side of Africa is not far off. The, so, wow, you were right there in, in the heart of it all. Yeah, yeah. And that, and that was such a phenomenal experience. So a lot of my experience in the Marine Corps, it was not big force. It was like a platoon of 30 guys here, 30 guys there. And in Crete, it was 30 guys. Our mission was uh, primarily we were a, like a quick reactionary force for um, different areas of interest, maybe, I guess I would say, um, for the United States in that region. Um, and part of why I got pushed to that, um, to, to Greece, at the time, that platoon was deployed to Bosnia. And they were wanting to um, add uh, more more Marines in that on that on that team um, for that mission that they were doing in Bosnia. They were providing security for um, one of the facilities there and and in Bosnia for the United Nations. I think it was I four. Does that sound? I believe, yeah, that sounds right. Something there. Um, so there, was a, so there was a facility there that they were providing security for. And then um, a couple key um, dignitaries, there was personal security for um, when they would go out in town and in, in, in that area for, um, I don't remember where, in Bosnia. But so, so, so you guys were providing the, the security for dignitaries when they would go into Bosnia or surrounding countries, any, anything right there in the region. Yeah, that was the that was one of the missions that the that the team had, um, and they needed a couple more people, so that they flew me in or put me into that unit as a way of um, starting to build up capacity or build up the force. Mm -hmm. um, by the time I actually got the orders, landed, um, and then packed my bags and was getting ready to head to Bosnia. Like within a day of me going, actually, I was on the uh, tarmac. Um, they, they canceled the orders and they had some other unit come in and then replace the uh, my team. And mm -hmm. so they all came back at that point. But that was all within a week of me getting to my first unit in the Marine Corps was, um, hey, you're you're going to go to Bosnia. You're going to the war, the only war that's there, or whatever, right? At yeah, the, the time, the, the only world conflict, the colony conflict, and. I remember uh, finishing up security forces school. They, um, there was maybe, I don't know, 40 or 50 of us in the class, the graduating class. And they, uh, all the, most all of the class and security forces, you can go to um, Camp David. That's the Marines that are at that compound sure. or whatever, protecting the interests there. Um, I think they're, um, naval installations that are handling nuclear material mm -hmm. like um, um, whether it be fuel rods or what have you there's there's marines that are um, securing those facilities um, you can go on to um, 
a ship, um, be a Marine detachment on a ship. Um, but most everybody in my graduating class was going to um, like a nuclear material type facility or Camp David. There might have been a Camp David or so, a few of them there. But there was three of us that they pulled out, me and my buddy um, that's in uh, Africa now, I mentioned, um, and this other guy. And they put us in front of the graduating class on a podium and they said, you three are going to war. <laughs> and to me, I was just thinking like, now even got more like drill instructor from like nine months ago at this point you know like okay now it's real but no now i'm going to war right and and i get all the way to greece and find out that they they pulled the orders and they changed it all around so i uh which is probably kind of bittersweet because you're 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 working for that in the event that that opportunity pops up mm-hmm but it probably ended up being kind of sweet because now I get to be stuck in Crete yeah. for a little while. And, and right. like you said, it's a vacation spot. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was so young. I didn't know what I was doing. I was just naively going bl blindly into the future. Right. So there was a, like you said, bittersweet, um, you know, it's actually getting to do what you've trained to do mm -hmm. kind of thing. So that was exciting. Um, but, um, yeah, no, it was it was definitely a vacation spot. So when when you guys were, were training though, I mean this is, you know, this is within 15 years after the Beirut barracks bombing, which was not very far away. So if you're standing at in Crete facing the north and you do a, a, a right face, mm -hmm. you're going to hit uh, hit that area. Um, you you've also still got the Russian. Uh, I mean, it, it was falling apart. Mm -hmm. But we were still training very heavily towards towards the Russians, yeah, um, because they were still you know kind of a threat, and you had a lot of unrest in in the Baltics. You know, obviously uh, Bosnia is what you mentioned, but then in '96, I mean, the Middle East was always an issue. But and then in '96, how long had you been there when the Kobar Towers bombing uh, occurred? Yeah, so. All of those different um, threat actors, I guess, in that space that you mentioned. The other thing that it wasn't as public maybe at the time, I don't know, but the um, terrorism was always a thing, right? And the Kobar Towers with bin Laden, I think it was attributed to, to bin Laden. Um, it was it was Hezbollah and bin Laden, though, was, was thought to be on the periphery. Kind of a puppeteer, I believe. Yeah, yeah. So... Um, you know, we, we had a couple different things with terrorism, even when we were in Crete. Um, there was, um, at one point, there was an attempt to try to kidnap uh, somebody in our unit when they were traveling, and, and uh, there, was, there was conflict, so you knew your, your threat, was the threat um, landscape was high or whatever, right? But nothing like when they finally did the Kobar Towers piece, um, and... Uh, so that was about six months into my my time there at, uh, in Crete. So when, who who did they try and, and kidnap? What what happened there? I vaguely remember. That was such a long time ago. But I think um, there was a uh, I think there was a staff sergeant. Part so part of when we were going out, like and and in these uh, different 
bars and, and whatnot, like we were a very soft target, mm-hmm. right? Because you're, you're um, having uh, adult beverages, right? You're, you're out there and you don't really know um, to keep your guard up. And um, there was a staff sergeant, I remember very vaguely that um, there was an attempt to try to capture this staff sergeant. And then I can't remember the name of the terrorist group. I don't know that they were so much like Hezbollah, like that, it was more of um, something associated with Greece. Interesting. Uh, Greece or Turkey, I can't remember. But um, there's like a... Were they, were they uh, Islamic though? Do you, do you recall that? Or was it more of like local uh, um, mafia? Yeah, something, for whatever reason, what's coming in my head right here and, uh, is something to do with the month of November. There was a group something November or something okay. that was okay. was um, put an attempt on trying to 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 uh, to capture uh, this this staff sergeant that we had. Um, oh, I can't remember the name of the group though. I don't remember. They obviously that. didn't get them. No, no, they didn't. Right, uh, but then it, all of that turned into this thing where we couldn't go out anymore for a, a good amount of time and that and Uh, and Crete is such a small base Um, what we had basically was uh, like the equivalent of a a regular neighborhood in in the states that was like one street one stop sign like it was a small itty bitty little base right so um, but y'all were providing the the security for the base yeah we had so a couple missions like we the broader mission was there's a, a unit within security forces that's uh, they call them the fast fast company, um, and their intent is to be like a, a quick reactionary force globally for like what ended up being the Cobar Towers um, instance, um, and what we were tr- we were our mission in part was a forward deployed fast company of sorts right that. Um, uh, any any conflict within the region, um, specifically around the southern part of Europe and then the northern part of Africa, that would emerge. Like we were someone that you could call to get somebody boots on the ground as fast as possible, right? Um, but then we had other missions that were um, like the React Force for the base itself. Mm-hmm. Um, there were um, key installations within the 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 base that um, required um, heightened security. Um, and we did a lot of things with training, a lot of training of uh, Navy forces all um, throughout that whole region. Um, so we'd go and, and do a lot of that. But um, yeah, our primary mission though, from um, from what I recall was, was that forward deployed kind of presence right. um, for whatever the hot spots of uh, um, of the area that you know we needed to 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 jump into. So you obviously had to react to Cobar uh, Towers. Were there any other? And you thought you're going to be reacting to Bosnia? Yeah. So the, the Bosnia was my entry um, into Crete, and then um, the Cobar Towers play. Um, they actually deployed the fast team or fast company to uh, Bahrain, which is about a, a 30 minute drive. Um, um, from where Kobar Towers is or, or was to the Navy installation there in Bahrain. Mm-hmm. And so um, they, they Marine Corps deployed the FAST company initially 
to, to heighten the security posture there of, uh, of Bahrain. And then um, about six months after the towers fell, uh, they started building out an actual company of Marines there to be more there permanently instead mm -hmm. of uh, fast teams are usually you come in for a couple months and then you're out, you know. So um, instead of transitioning out of the security forces uh, billet and going into the infantry, I uh, was extended uh, another year and went into um, uh, Bahrain and I I replaced basically the, the fast company that was there, me and, you know, uh, another hundred people or whatever, but. So you went from Crete? Crete. To Bahrain? To Bahrain. Which you probably couldn't get more completely opposite yeah. in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Crete's just a paradise. Yeah. Bahrain is not. Bahrain is a paradise for the Middle East. <laughs> <laughs> Like well, people would say it's the Vegas of the Middle East sometimes, right? Because there is a, a, a Western influence true. Um, there in, in Bahrain, right? But definitely not Crete. But were, what was the climate like there? Were you able to go out and enjoy yourself? Uh, Western cocktails and things of that nature. What, what was life like in Bahrain? Yeah, initially um, we were very locked down. Um, the the threat was high. We were, I remember um, various agencies. We'd have meetings with them on a weekly basis, and they would report on um, what they're seeing within the community. We would see the bad guys um, with the binoculars and the cameras taking pictures of our positions, and um, it, it was um, very much a, a high. Th kind of threat area. Combine that with the locals, um, the Bahraini, the nationals, um, there's a lot of like, maybe turmoil around mm -hmm. um, their government and, and kind of there was some hostility there with their government. So they wanted to, um, they were kind of terrorists, a local terrorist maybe in a sense uh, within um, themselves. But it was definitely not uh, kind of a climate where you're you're going to go out in town and and kind of loosen up. Um, actually, it just reminded me of an, uh, uh, something that happened at that time. But um, <clears throat> eventually, the the threat seemed to to loosen, and then we we could loosen our posture. So me being there for a year, um, maybe the first six months, um, kind of finishing out um, our first six months of of '97 was a little bit more um, of a stronger posture than maybe the last six months. So what did I remind you? There, you know, as I mentioned, um, I mentioned that there was, um, you know, bad guys, binoculars and taking pictures of our installations mm -hmm. and stuff, you know, and um, we had a rotation where we were on um, three days straight um, and, and my roommate, he didn't sleep for three days straight, and then you'd have one day off. So three days on, one day off, three days on, one day off, and then eventually we got an opportunity to go out in town. Um, three days straight, no sleep? My roommate was crazy. Um, okay. Johnny A was his <laughs> way we called him, but... Um, Obviously that wasn't the intent was for him to be up three days straight. No, no, and he, um, yeah, he was a unique egg, but 
you know, you, you would sleep, you would basically have eight hour shifts. You would have an eight hour where you'd be out, um, kind of in that, um, uh, on your posts, then you'd have an eight hour shift where you would, you would sleep and, but you'd be your quick reactionary force. And then you'd have eight hours where you would be a backup force to the, to a quick reactionary force and you had to be able to respond within an hour or whatever. Right. So, um, and you'd be in that kind of cycle, eight, eight, eight for three days straight, and then you'd have 24 hours off. But when we finally got an opportunity to go out in town, um, there was one individual that um, found a, a relationship that, with this uh, very uh, pretty uh, local girl. And um, she was extremely pretty for how ugly this dude was. <laughs> but, uh, and, and it was a shock for us all. Like, how did you, how did you, this, it's like, uh, she's a 10 and you're a one. How does this even work or whatever? Um, and was she in the traditional Muslim garb? No, she was actually, uh, um, uh, I don't even know where she was from, but she was more Westernized. Okay. Right. Okay. Um, but it turned out, uh, our, our weekly cadence with our alphabets, um, uh, agencies, it turned out that she was actually a spy. Like she was tied to um, bin Laden somehow and she was doing um, like investigations or she was figuring out how we're set up and what our, our plans are and stuff. So he was feeding her all this information. Oh my. Yeah. And so, and none of us even thought like, that would even be a reality, right? But we were all realized she was a 10 and this guy's a one. How, how is this, you know? Well, that's how she was. Yeah, she went after the, yeah. Yeah. the, the one who was the uh, most easily seduced because of that. And going to give up all kinds of information because of, like, it's probably his first girlfriend for, you know, whatever, right? So. And how, how did all of this come to light? They, uh, the... CIA? I don't, I don't remember if it was CIA. It was just, at the time, the people that could have beards when we, when we couldn't, you know? Okay. <laughs> um, so it was like the, and they lived, um, they lived all around, I don't know if it's like, I mean, 20 plus years ago. I can't imagine it being anything that's like loose lips sink ships kind of thing or whatever, right? But they lived and, and uh, acted like civilians all within right. and around the, the community, right? And then they would, um, come and report on um, uh, kind of what's going on within um, all these different terrorists or whatever that was uh, in and around the area. But I don't know what agency they were with. I don't. I just know that they were not military. Well, how did how did you guys find out though that that he had been compromised? Yeah, they told us. They were they they were more mature than us, I guess, and knew that like. That's, that that doesn't add up, and then they started digging into it, and then of course they found that um, she was she was part of that, and so then they shared that with us, and then we had to to take the corrective action, I guess, or whatever, right? But, well, that begs the question: What was the corrective action? Uh, he he was uh, pro prohibited from going out um, for a long while. Um, yeah, I, I can't. So I mean, it I really was really something remember. right out of a movie that. Yeah. You know, he was seduced, and then she became compromised once they were able to figure out yeah. how different it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, it, it seems wild to think, like, um, 
what was it that you really needed to dig into? Like, we, it wasn't that we were super top secret. Like, it was pretty much like, we're just there to be a physical presence and make the bad guy think twice about potentially Y'all trying to... Y'all were a deterrent. Yeah, yeah. So, so, I don't know. Did you ever figure out who she was working with? It, it somehow tied... Everything tied back to, at that time, it seemed like, to Bin Laden. Like, it was all... Like, it was his funding. It was... It was and this is, yeah, again, in the early 90s or mid-90s, right? So... Okay. I don't know how much he was a household name at that point, but he was definitely uh, something that we were um, very keened into at that at that point. You know? Yeah, and I I know that um, I know that he was tied into to quite a few things there, and so that that makes a lot of sense. But so, in addition to the the four deployed anti-terrorism uh, aspect of things, I mean, terrorism was. It was there. I mean, again, the uh, um, the Beirut barracks bombing in '83. We knew exactly what it was. And, mm -hmm. But how much did you think you were going to be involved in going after any of these guys? I mean, or, or were you pretty naive to, you know, to exactly what was building up? Yeah, I was. I was pretty naive to it. I mean, I. I didn't have the context around the Be the, the Beirut bombing um, as much growing up or whatever. Um, I was pretty young. Um, to me, it was it was like the what turned into like nine eleven and mm -hmm. like now the global war on terror. That was to me the the beginning of a lot of that for how the military. Because you mentioned, um, you know, we were very focused on big army kind of like Russia, China, mm -hmm. whatever, like these, you know, big conflicts. Um, terrorism wasn't as mainstream as it, what it became. And um, yeah, I mean, I was going through OCS in 95 and I still remember looking at, you know, flashcards of T-72s and BMTs yeah, exactly. or BMPs. I mean, it was still, it was still the number one threat to us. Mm -hmm. um, but yet, you were actually forward deployed in an anti-terrorist unit, which turned out to be obviously the biggest threat. At the time, us. yeah, it seemed like it was, it was, it was definitely the one of the key games in town. I know right. that because um, I mean we had internet danger pay, combat pay, and all these different like um, pay incentives classifying it. But then what we had is that I mentioned the three days on, one day off, three days on, one day. Well, that one day off inevitably there would be some type of four star, three star or whatever, somebody that wanted to come through the area to see how the Marines are doing. Um, <laughs> but it, it was like, we, we would get, you know, like see, that's our one day off. That's <laughs> funny, you're, you're cued into that. Yeah. But y'all weren't, you know, you couldn't cue yourself into uh, uh, the 10 dating the one. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. I mean, we, we got to the point where it was like, um, if it wasn't a four star or a three star, we would just we just kick and scream fight. Like we didn't want to have to go to a formation to, because the off Marines are the ones that could actually participate in those kinds of dog and ponies, I suppose, to an extent, you know. But it was it was really cool. You got I got to uh, see a lot of the like Secretary of Defense came through, um, Secretary of um, um, well uh, the. Uh, Secnav, I'm sure. Yeah, a lot of a lot of the big, big more public names you see on TV at the mm -hmm. time would come through. 
um, the uh, um, the admiral of the fifth fleet is is there as well and we had a um, I, I was just talking to my buddy that sometimes I don't know how much of the the things were more official versus kind of like under the table but right. like we had a post at um, his family's house so we were providing personal security for uh, private sec per personal security for his uh, family um, um, and he's a very the the uh, admiral of the fifth fleet is a very powerful position. At sure. least it was at the sure. time. I don't I don't know how much that's all structured um, now, but and and, and how accessible or susceptible were you know was the the admiral of the fifth fleet? I mean, obviously you've got a lot of, of different layers of security, but was he a pretty soft target when it, when it was all said and done? For his position, I like because he just had a house out in town, right? Like, really? Like it? It was. Uh, I I think it really at the end of the day, it was probably. I mean, there were some instances where they were. Um, um, I guess at this point, we perceived it as like probing um, from a, um, a terrorist perspective to see how soft it was his, his personal residence was. But I think more than, and, and um, could be completely off because I was pretty young at that time, right? But more than anything, I felt like it was really just to make sure that his family felt safe, mm -hmm. his wife and kid, yeah. um, uh, making sure that they had some type of protection with all the things going on with like the recent Cobar Towers and then the constant um, activity around, um, you know, the terrorists that were investigating the, the um, the area, thinking about what their next target was going to be. That was, Bahrain was absolutely seen as the um, most likely next target, 30 miles away from Kobar, right? So, gotcha. So. So, that, so you, you, you were there until the end when you decided to get out or did you go no. somewhere else? So I, I went to, um, so I was there in Bahrain for a year. Um, and then, um, after Bahrain, I got pushed to uh, 2nd Battalion, 7th Marines in Twin Nine Palms, which is like leaving one desert for for another one. Absolutely. <laughs> At least one's on the other side of the world where it's a little more, uh, you know, quote unquote exotic. Yeah. Well, what what did your your time with with, uh, you know, in, in the Marine Corps, what what did you take away from all of that 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 you would say is applicable and prepared you for? life in the civilian world. I mean, because, you know, as we talked about, there's, there are a lot of, of folks that see the military path as, you know, we're almost a victim class. You know, everybody's always dealing with something, but there's a lot of good that comes out of our, our time in the military. So yeah. what, how would you condense your time into a, a lesson or two? I, I think, um, you know, growing up, I, I, I grew up in a relatively small town, central Illinois, middle of the cornfield, um, a lot of blue collar um, work, factory work at the time. A lot of those factories have gone, but, um, you know, didn't really have, I, mean, the, I think the most traveling I did at one point, I went up to Chicago. I remember seeing Harry Carey and got his uh, autograph uh, for being a Cub fan. The late great Harry Carey, yeah, former Cardinal and Cub, yeah, color analyst, got right? It. 
Or yeah. actually play by play. Play by play. He so um you know, I didn't travel a whole lot, right? And then my first time as I mentioned, first time getting on a plane was going over to San Diego to go to boot camp and um and most all of my time, because once I got to the Second Battalion, Seventh Marines, I was there for a couple months, and then we deployed out to to Okinawa. Mm-hmm. So I spent out of a four year stint, I spent at least three of them um, overseas and seeing the world and and how how big the world can feel and and how much opportunity there is um, within the world. Um, and it's really just for you to go and grab it, right? And so um, I think about my experience um, coming out of the cornfield in essence um, I never would have had an appreciation for the opportunities that um, uh, are available to anybody that just wants to raise their hand and Mm -hmm. go for it you know so um, it definitely opened my eyes to that and going from where I was in in, um, central Illinois and, and what I see a lot of the the my friends that have stayed there um and throughout their lives um you know they haven't had opportunities to go and and um live in different places and experience different cultures and and that so um, well and, and the cultural aspect is so huge i mean it, it's you know dei has been thrown around as you know, a lot of buzzword and a lot of checking boxes and things mm-hmm. of that. But when you when you travel the world and you see the different cultures and you see what 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 different um, what different experiences bring to the table, I mean, that to me is the true meaning of diversity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is the the true meaning of of inclusion. I mean, you know, because you mentioned culture several times. I mean, how much wiser are you to all of that as a result of your your time in the in the Marine Corps? Yeah, you know, when I was in Crete, people from all around Europe, um, and I would do a lot of traveling to different parts of of Europe, and um, spent some time in Israel, uh, did some training there in Israel. Oh, did you really? Um, when uh, actually, and not too far from the the conflict now. Um, um, Who are you training with there? I can't remember the name of the mission or the, um, there was a, a, a Mew or a, a Mew that came through and they did an operation with some different um, countries and it was in a um, military installation in the southern part of Israel. I, I want to say Beersheba was the name of the military installation. And then I had, and actually, oddly enough, I just went out last weekend with a a buddy of mine that um, he was in the Israeli military at that time, at that base. And he always gives me a hard time because I don't pronounce it correctly. (laughs) (laughs) But um, so, okay. So when, when the, you know, the Mew being the Marine Expeditionary Unit. Yeah. So that's all the ships and all the Marines. And so when, when they go there and they're, they jump off ship to do a um, uh, to do some exercises, probably in conjunction with the Israeli Defense Forces. Mm-hmm. Were you guys providing security, or were you involved in, in conducting the training? So we we came in and we actually linked up with uh, um, the embassy Marines that were in Tel Aviv, um, and we stayed at the Marine House, and then we were. Um, 
You know what it actually just felt like is like, ultimately we we linked up with the Marine House and then from there we got uh, connected to the, um, the Mew and we went out on a big firing line. Think of like every single piece of uh, weaponry that the Marine Corps has in a Mew, starting with like the Abrams tanks on one far left and then like on the far right, like someone with a cap gun, like and everything in between was on this big firing line. And it was just more like we got to dump all of our ammo because they were getting ready to come head back to the States and be replaced by the next Mew. So uh, we went through all of this, these different they um, take the ammo. I, that's it, crazy. They just they just fired and fired and fired and fired all kinds of we ammunition. We waste stuff, don't we? Well, I, it might have been like, I don't know. Does it have a shelf life? I, I don't. I don't. Not not, <laughs> not to not to that degree. I don't know. We. I mean, and again, I was just a little uh, at the time. I was probably I was a lance corporal. Maybe I was a no. I, I was a lance corporal. So I was. I, I was not big, big arrow uh, at that point. To you're know just what, doing what you were told. Go out here and fire this weapon. Okay, Roger that. Right, like so. Um, yeah, but um, but back back to the cultural piece. Like so, traveling all around the world, seeing all these different cultures, and seeing uh, true pro- poverty in ways that nobody in this country can fully appreciate at times. Right, like just mud houses and stuff. At that point. Um, in some of the parts of the world that I was at. But there's these things that, that um, are human, that bond us all together. We all eat, we all appreciate um, different types of food um, and, and, and uh, family for the most part, right? Like you, you have these things that are in common um, and then taking those types of experiences and, and how you can relate to people from all different walks of life. Um, is a big part of I think with within um, corporate America and what would can be a contributor to my success in corporate America. Like I can relate to a lot of different people. Um, I can um, better lead a lot of people um, having all those different rich life experiences of of um, meeting all those different cultures and how do you lead Marines in those cultures. Um, and in those hostile environment type scenarios where, you know, they they don't want to do anything, but you got to figure out how to motivate them anyway and accomplish the mission, right? So all of those things I think really um, I could talk for hours on, but really help, I think, and key are a key contributor to my success and to my career today. Is the result of, of your experiences in the Marine Corps? Hundred percent, and, and I and I feel like um, so at some point, do you do you like you say once a Marine, always a Marine, right? And mm-hmm. and uh, I believe that wholeheartedly. I'm all in still. Like I'm still brainwashed <laughs> from from uh, from boot camp, but um, it, it it is so true still today and how my ethos of of um, what's important to me honor courage commitment semper fidelis all these things and it's the key factor as to why i'm successful today in my careers um that, I, that i'm in um yeah I, I don't know um any way other than that right it's it's definitely um kind of kind of got you focused when you 
and you're kicked out of college and joined the Marine Corps. Yeah. It, it was only a short ride, but but it, it obviously served a, uh, as a tremendous base for you. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, uh, you know, carry the load is 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 all about, um, you know, restoring the I shouldn't say all about, but one of our main purposes and the way the reason we were founded, you know, it was about Memorial Day. And so when Memorial Day rolls around for you each year, how does how does your view on Memorial Day? How has it has it changed? How has it evolved through the years? Because if you're like a lot of Americans, when you're 17, you don't even really understand what it is. Mm-hmm. Now it takes on a whole different meaning. So, you know, how do you classify Memorial Day as important in the annals of American importance? Yeah, I mean, I think um, that some gave, some gave, like all gave some, some gave all, right? Yes. Like, and um, I think that it's it's really hard for people to understand this level of sacrifice and who all is sacrificing um, when it comes to the volunteer force, right, of the of the military. And I think, um, as I mentioned, my my um, friend of mine is currently deployed. Um, well. My, my best friend that I met in boot camp and uh, uh, we were in um, line training is what they called it mm-hmm. back then. Um, and I, I punched him in the face and we've been best friends ever since, right? But he's <laughs> he's currently deployed in... in uh, he, well, you can't just leave it there. I mean, you punched him in the face. Was he okay with that? Was that a mistake? I, I think actually, if I remember right, I'm going to say it on the record here. Um, I, I broke his nose. I think he had blood everywhere and uh, it was... Uh, um, and the instructors were probably going crazy. They loved it. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, and then he... Yeah, and, and he he's a bleeder, you know, so, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I think back in, in, in where he's deployed now and you think about those that have, that have served in Memorial Day and the kind of the, the, um, the level of, of uh, who all volunteers and what that sacrifice ends up being, he, he has uh, a family at home that his wife now is um, tasked with trying to figure out how to raise the her their kids on their own right like there's it it's so wide uh as far as the the sacrifice that people give mm-hmm. um and and i think it's easily uh, misunderstood when you don't have a connection to um people in in, in your community and, and that, that serve in the military right so it and it's then not, god forbid he actually becomes a, a statistic Right. Um, that contributes to the Memorial Day. You know, I, I don't even like calling Memorial Day a holiday. You know, it's because it's, you know, I, people, we, we've got to help people understand it's not Happy Memorial Day. Mm-hmm. Because for those families of the fallen, nothing yeah. happy about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's not just a day. I mean, it's every day. Like... We, we take one day aside and we set it aside to put some time to, to, to reflect on it, but it's every day. There's every day there's people that are deployed, every day that there's um, conflicts that people don't understand that, that be, people are becoming a statistic every day. You know, so it's, um, 
it's something that I um, I definitely um, have top of mind more than, than than most for me, and I think about how can I help that that um, community or our community um, with things like doing this, right? Like yeah. trying to get awareness for people that are so far out of touch um, of, of what it means to even be in the military. I mentioned uh, uh, a story um, I'll share um, when, when me and one of my, my real good buddies, Chris, uh, who also served in security forces and then went to 2-7 um, afterwards, he and I got out of the military and we were uh, sitting at dinner with our, our spouses uh, at a hibachi grill where we were sharing the table with other uh, other couples that we didn't know and we shared with these other couples that we just got out of the military and this is our um, we're just you know um, getting together for the first time or whatever and we haven't seen each other in a while and the questions that they had were um, you know thinking that well you spent four years in do you get to keep all your guns and uh, you know, the, uh, um, thinking that like, well, you can retire now. You don't have to work another day in your life. And the big thing that was like the Marines and the swords. So they thought, oh, like, so do you have a sword? Do you have it with you now? And like, it was, they're just so naive to the reality of, of what it really means to serve, you know? So, um, it's a, um, yeah, it's a, it's a great, uh, concept here with what you're doing about bringing awareness to the broader community. And, how do we, how do we change that? Do we, do we, can we get away with requiring people to serve? I is that even a good answer? Yeah, I, I don't think that's the answer. To me, I I love the and it might it might come to that right with with um, recruiting rates and stuff right. But um, I really like the idea of a volunteer force. Mm -hmm. I know that the person that I'm fighting with is um, raised their hand uh, as opposed to just being forced to the the united states military being an all-volunteer force and having in worked with so many different militaries over the uh, country's militaries that are um not volunteer like we're just above the rest right when it comes to like the amount of effort that we put in and and, and how serious we take it it's it's um i don't i don't think uh forcing people in uh in the military uh, i think there's something to community service and you know there's there's something to that that play but um i don't i don't want to ruin our military with something like that i agree yeah well tim thank you man i've, I've enjoyed the conversation it, it's uh you know marine security forces is a uh, you know again it's it's kind of a pocket aspect of of the uh you know of, of the marine corps and a lot of people don't understand there are so many little things that require security. Yeah. I mean, we didn't even talk about, you know, changing out hardware, you know, that's extremely sensitive uh, to national security from a plane that's been probably circling China at some point. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But, but man, I appreciate it. Thank you very much for the time and, and thanks for, uh, for sharing with us. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you very much. Very good. All right. All right. If this resonated with you in the least, please subscribe and like, and please, please, please share it with at least one person. These are the stories that make us uniquely American. These are the stories that preserve the integrity of our nation.